Thank Roddy for sharing that with us today. So some of you have been in small groups in other settings. Some of you have been in a small group here. Maybe your group is closed. Some of you have never been in groups. No matter your experience, Tim will tell you how to get, become a part of that, and we hope you uh, take that step and jump into that this uh, coming fall in just a couple weeks. One other thing I wanted just to mention to you, um, we've ra- recently wrapped up our fiscal year as a church, and um, we had our best fiscal year ever in the life of CCC. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you for your incredible generosity throughout this past year. Um, For those of you that love numbers, I'm going to send out a video this week with all the numbers. And so you'll get to see all the numbers. For those of you that don't like numbers, you'll get to ignore the numbers. Um, But I just want to say a big thank you to all of you for your incredible generosity. uh, To our general fund, our buildings, benevolence, missions, everything this past year has just been amazing. We ended the year with a $138,000 surplus in our general fund. We've never experienced anything like that before. And so our elders are asking God for wisdom and direction about how to use that uh, to benefit the ministry and the community here uh, in the days and weeks ahead. So we'll keep you informed about those things, but just want to say a huge thank you to this past year. Uh, We feel overwhelmingly blessed and um, are honored that you've entrusted us uh, to lead and use those resources. Well, this morning I want to begin a new series, and the new series that we're going to start is entitled uh, Soul Detox, Soul Detox, and it's based upon a book by Craig Rochelle, a a book and messages from him entitled by the same title, Soul Detox, and and, uh, you may have heard of this idea of detoxing your body. Um, and there's lots of detoxing approaches out there. You know, there's liver detoxes and all kinds of detoxes. And the purpose of these detoxes is to clean out this thing called toxins out of your body. And I don't really know much about toxins, but I remember last summer when the uh, U.S. Olympic team, um, especially the swimming team, when they were preparing for, their, uh, for the Olympics, some of these guys, men and women, would have to swim meets without a lot of time in between. And so one of the things that they had to do is they had to try to get their bodies functioning at the peak capacity so that they could re-enter and use all the energy that they had in this next event. And so one of the things that they did um, at the Olympics that most of us likely saw if we watched the Olympics is this thing called cupping. And you saw these orange circles on some of the swimmers especially is where you would see them. And, and um, they would put these little glass, heated glass bubbles, I don't know even what you call those things, you know, on top of your skin and they would turn it a little bit. And, and uh, supposedly it made a huge difference. Well, um, a few weeks after the Olympics was over, I had my back was aching a little bit, went to my massage therapist and he said, hey, you want to try this new thing called cupping? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'll try anything new that's out there. So he said, okay, we'll, we'll do this. So I'm laying down on the table, and he puts these things on my back, and he turns them a little bit, and, and it just kind of feels like someone's turning your skin like that. It's a little warm, you know? And then he starts ooing and eyeing. He's like, oh, wow, you have a lot of toxins. Oh, my goodness, look at all that stuff coming out. I'm just envisioning tapeworms climbing out of my skin. I don't know what else to think, you know? Because I can't even see this. It's on my back. I can't see it. And so at the end, he kind of takes them. He says, yeah, you had a lot of toxins in your system. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, glad those are all gone, you know? And uh, so then he takes them all off. And they don't look any different than when he put them on. I'm not sure what's happening. I don't know if this is voodoo or what. But uh, when I got home, I had these big red circles on my, on my back. And 
I might have thought that I was going to swim or run or bike like an Olympic athlete. It didn't happen. It was all in my head. Um, But supposedly the toxins were flushed out. And he always says this to me. He says, makes you drink a lot of water. Gallon of water in the next 24 hours because you've got to flush all these toxins out. Okay, I'll drink my water, which I did. And I still don't know what toxins really are. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, But I know that it's something that everybody is very focused on trying to get out of their system these things called toxins because they limit your body's ability to function in the way it was created and designed to function. And so that's one of the reasons for removing these things out of our system. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the things that get into not just our bodies, but our souls. The things that get into our souls, the things that keep us from being able to live and experience life the way God's designed for us to live it in relationship with him. You know, we feed our bodies, we take care of our bodies, we exercise our bodies, we pay a lot of attention to our bodies, but I don't think we pay a lot of attention to our soul. And at our essence, what we are is we are a soul. In Genesis 2, at the very beginning of the Bible, it says this, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living what? Soul. A living soul. And so often we think about our body, but the truth is, it's really not about our body, it's really about our souls. You see, we are not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. Because as much as we take care of this physical body, there will come a time when this physical body will cease to function. And there will come a time when this physical body will cease to exist. But our soul, the Bible says, will live somewhere forever. And so the question for us is, what do I do about taking care of my soul? And so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at this whole idea of detoxing the soul. We're going to talk about the restless soul today. We're going to talk about the heavy soul. We're going to talk about the tortured soul. And we're also going to talk about the seduced soul over these next four weeks. Years ago, when my wife and I moved into our current home, um, we loved everything about the home. It was exactly what we were looking for. The only thing that was difficult for us to swallow when we kind of were deciding should we buy it or shouldn't we buy it is the fact that the individual living in that house previous, the current owner, was a very heavy smoker. And so it was such a heavy smoker that the, the, like the walls where the walls met the ceiling, those would all turn yellow. It was really, really strong heavy smoker who had been in there. And as we talked about it and asked some advice to different people, they said, yeah, you can, get, you can get rid of that. And so we said, okay, we'll buy the house. So we bought the house, painted everything in sight in the whole house, every possible thing, got rid of blinds and, and shades, cleaned the carpets multiple times. And, uh, and when we went in, we felt like, oh, we got the smell out. But we'd have, some, we'd have friends periodically would come in the house and they'd, they'd uh, like, have you been smoking? I'm like, no, I haven't been smoking, you know. But um, they said, well, it smells like smoke. I'm like, really? It smells like... I thought we got rid of all that smell. But they could come in and smell a scent of it, even though we couldn't, because we lived in it. We lived in it. And so we're going to talk about some of, these, some of these things that are true about our soul, that some of these things you might say to yourself, that's not really true of me, but likely if you ask someone close to you or someone who knows you well... They might take a sniff and they might say, yeah, that's really true of you. And so I hope this week week and these next few weeks as we look at these issues of the soul that you don't just dismiss it if you're not sure it's 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 you because likely there's some truth in it that you need to grab hold of and allow to sink deep into your heart and into your life. 
During this time, we're going to walk through some practical steps to address these issues of the soul. And my prayer for all of us is that as we walk through this, that we find our souls refreshed and renewed and strengthened in ways we haven't known before. And so this morning, we want to look at the curse of the restless soul, the curse of the restless soul. This curse actually began a long time ago, a long time ago, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, excuse me, right after the Garden of Eden. Uh, there were two sons born to um, Adam and Eve, and they were Cain and Abel. And the story goes that uh, Cain was jealous of his younger brother Abel, and he actually killed his younger brother Abel. And God says this to Cain after he killed his younger brother. He says, you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will not yield crops. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And that was, that was the curse on Cain. The fact that he would never be settled, never be at peace, always be restless, always searching, always looking, always trying to find peace and find rest, but never able to discover that. And maybe you experience that. You put your head down on the pillow, but there is no rest. There is no rest because the mind is constantly going. Always anxious, te tense, worried, concerned. Solomon talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look what he says. Why do you people, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving under which you labor? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. How many of you can echo that sentiment of Solomon's? When I put my pillow, head down on the pillow, I do not rest. Come on, be honest. You're in church. There you go. That's a little few more hands. You know, your mind just doesn't rest. And the only way you rest is if you are utterly, utterly exhausted. It's easy to admit that our bodies are tired. I'm going to go take a nap. Maybe you'll do that this afternoon. You know, or I'm, it's, it's getting kind of late. I'm going to go to bed. And so we go to, we rest so that we can um, recharge our batteries. And so when we're exhausted, weary, fatigued physically. But what do we do when our souls are fatigued, when our souls are weary, when our souls are at rest? And the truth is there's only one place for your soul to find rest. And you're going to say, well, John, that sounds like a church answer, and it is, and because the only place you're going to find that rest is in God. The only place your soul will find rest is in God. David says that in the Psalms. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn to Psalm 62, Psalm 62, there's a Bible in your seat right in front of you. You can grab one of those and uh, follow along. It's page 462 on the ones right in front of you, or you can follow along on your phone or tablet if you have that as well. Psalm 62. The first, first verse, David's reflecting on his own soul. He says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Only one place he found rest for his soul. He didn't find rest in a person he didn't find rest in a thing. He didn't find rest in an experience. He didn't find rest in a vocation or a career or a dream house or a certain amount of money. He found rest only in God. He goes on to say, He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. When David would put his rest in God, he felt like he was inside of this fortress. And nothing was going to move that. Nothing was going to shake that. Nothing would get to his heart and his soul because he was in a place of safety and security. He goes on to say in verse 3, 
He says, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning fence, this tottering, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Something's happened in David's life. We don't really know the details about it, but something is happening in his life that is pushing him over, pushing him down to the point that he does not know how much longer he can take it. He describes himself as a wall of fence, something being pushed over, and I, <clears throat> I envision it like the, the hurricane that just came through as it would push those trees it was pushing them to the brink that they were going to collapse. David goes on in the next verse to say, they intended to topple me. They take delight in lies. Maybe that's what was happening with Daniel. There were people lying about him. And the lies were slowly being believed and slowly mounting around him. With their mouth they bless, but in their hearts they curse. People were talking, saying one thing to him and to his face, something different behind his back. And he said, I don't know how much longer I can take it. I don't know how much longer I can hold out because the pressure, the weight, the intensity, the struggle is so great. I'm afraid that I'm going to collapse. And look what he does in verse 5. He says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. It almost sounds like David is commanding his soul to do something. It's almost like he's having to remind himself to say, soul, the only place you're going to find rest. Soul, the only place you're going to find safety. Soul, the only place you're going to feel secure is in God alone. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. St. Augustine said this, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Maybe for you this morning, there's a restlessness in your soul. And you've pursued some type of peace or some type of stability in a lot of different things. Some of you tried to find that peace in a career that you keep trying to advance, keep trying to push forward. Some of you tried to find that peace in a relationship. And maybe now it's in children. We all try to find this peace in different ways. But what St. Augustine said, "Is we have got to come to this place in our journey, have got to come to this place in our life where we recognize there's no other place I'm going to find it other than in God alone. Jesus talked about this same thing in Matthew 11:28 when he said, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't tell us to go anywhere else to find rest other than to him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And what will happen? You'll find rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. This whole idea of rest for your soul is something that shows up often. In David's writings, it shows up often in what Jesus has to say. It's almost as if he realized that part of our struggle in life is that we're going to try, we're going to feel this, this emptiness inside, this churning, this restlessness that that Cain described, that Solomon described, where we don't feel at peace and we're going to pursue all these other things to try to find this sense of rest. And he keeps saying, you're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You will only find your rest in God alone. If you've been here at CCC for any length of time, you hear us talk about one of our values is intentional rhythms. And you hear us talking about pausing and stopping and reflecting, and not just resting the body physically, not just taking a break from the technology, but also finding a way for your soul to be at rest. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. How do I find this rest? Even if I know it's important, how do I find and experience this rest for my soul? Well, this morning I want to give you three things 
that I think if you put these things into practice in your life, that over time it will remove some of the toxins from your soul. And you will experience a peace and a contentment, and you won't even need cupping to make that happen. What's the first one? Well, the first one we talked about last week, the first one is this. Be still before God. Be still before God. Now, if you were here in our service last week, we actually had you take an opportunity to spend five minutes just sitting quietly and still before God. Now, my challenge for you last week was for you to do that this week, sometime during the week. How many people spent five minutes quietly in silence this past week? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you did it more than one time this past week? Okay, my... Um, a couple of you did. Great job. Turn myself off. Sorry, turn myself off. Um, but it seems like that's about, about 5% of the room. So I think we've got a lot of work to do if we're going to actually incorporate these things into our lives. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more. You say, John, why do you keep harping on this? Why do you keep harping on this? Psalm 46.10, David says, God speaking, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I would venture to guess that the majority of this room wants to know God better than you know Him today. Most of you probably would say that. Some of you might not. Most of you probably would. And yet, how do we get there? How do we know God better? For me, for many years, knowing God better was, was reading. I loved to read, and so I wanted to read about God. Maybe that would help me to know God. If you read, then you would know God. And, and maybe it's, I, I know God more if I would be around people who were people like God, people who were godly. If I spend more time with them, then I would know God. If I sat under people that were knowledgeable and educated, and I listened to them, and I would learn from them, then maybe I would know God. David doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say that at all. He says, you've got to be still, and when you're still, you'll know God. When you're still, you'll know God. You can't be busy and know God. You can't worry and know God. You can't be anxious and know God. You can't be productive and efficient and know God. You can't be revved up and know God. You, the only way you're going to know that God is on the throne and He's the one in control is for you to stop and be still. For you to be still. How many of you have uh, someone like this in your home? How many of you are like this picture in the kid, this kid in the, you know, some of you are like that, right? You know, lots of energy, can't stop, going all day long until the pillow, the head hits the pillow, and then they stop, you know. Um, and that's the way our lives are. Most of us have some element of this, where we're just going, 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 and God invites us into something different. He invites us into this. He says, I've calmed and quieted myself. That's David saying. Nobody can do this for you. Your spouse can't calm and quiet you as much as they might try at times. They can. Pastor can't calm and quiet you. Small group leader can't calm and quiet you. Parents can't calm and quiet you. They try a lot. You know. um, you're the only one that can calm and quiet your soul. And that's what David did. He said, I'm like 
Giving us a picture. I'm like a weaned child with his mother, a child that's content, a child that's not restless, a child that's not longing to, to nurse. I'm like a child that's content with his mother. It's as if David is saying, you just need to tell your soul to shut up and be quiet so that you can just sit still and be with me. We talked last week about how some of you, when you do this, your mind starts racing. We talk about monkeys in the trees. You know, there's all kinds of things coming to your, your mind, what things I have to do, things that I need to get done. I gave you some suggestions of ways to navigate that, whether that's a, just a prayer as you breathe that just says, hear my Lord. Every time you breathe, just say, hear my Lord. Hear my Lord to still and quiet your spirit. I don't know what you thought last week as I challenged you to do this. Take five minutes. Find a place, sit quietly and still before God. Maybe you thought, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I love this quote. It says, you don't have time not to be still before God. You don't have time not to be still before God. So the first step to detoxing my soul is to be still before God, to slow down, to set aside the distractions, set aside the technology, set aside all those things, and just be quiet and still before God. And somehow in that process of being still before God, I get clarity about what's going on in my life, about the things that don't make any sense, the things that I can't figure out, problems that I can't solve that seem bigger than me. And I'm okay with Him being in charge of all of those things. The second thing is to wait for God. To wait for God. Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, Be still before the Lord, which is what we just talked about, and then wait patiently for Him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. We are an incredibly impatient society. Incredibly impatient. I get embarrassed how quickly I get impatient with someone who isn't turning or doesn't move when the light turns green, you know? And then I see them looking down. I'm like, okay, I know what they're doing, you know? We're just overwhelmingly impatient. And God says one of the ways you clean out the junk in your soul is you wait. Is for you to wait. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks. We talked about being still, being silent, asking God for things as you're reading His Word. Psalm 130 talks about this. It says, I waited for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His Word I put my hope. My whole being waits. Not just in my mind, my body, I stop. To wait, I have to stop. I wait for the Lord more than hench watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, my watchmen, they're guys that are on, they're, they're on duty. They're guarding, they're protecting the city walls or the city gates. And they have a shift where they work for Eight, sometimes 12 hours. But these guys, these, are, these guys are waiting for what? What are they waiting for? That's a question for you to answer. What are they waiting for? The morning, right? They're waiting for daylight. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the sun to come up. They're waiting for the sun to come up. And you know the cool thing about these guys who are waiting? They know that every single day the sun comes up. And so their waiting is not pointless. Their waiting is not futile. Their waiting is not 
I don't have any other choice. Their waiting is in anticipation of something that's going to happen. That's what they're waiting for. And just as the sun is going to come up, God is going to show up in your life. If you wait. Just as the sun is going to come up, God is going to show up in your life. If you wait. As I sat with this this morning and just was thinking about it, God brought something to my mind and God said to me, John, you might have to wait on this. And I said, how long, God? How long? A week? A month? Six months? A year? Multiple years? A decade? God, I'm not sure I want to wait that long. As I sat with it and wondered, why do I not want to wait? Why do I not want to wait? If I'm really honest, the reason I don't want to wait is because the longer I wait, my hope goes down that God's going to show up. My hope goes down that God's going to show up. But these guys believe that the sun's coming up every day. And that's what they wait for. And just like that sun's going to come up, God's going to show up in my life. And God wants to show up in your life. I don't know how God's going to do that. I don't know how He's going to answer that prayer you've been praying for, that longing in your heart that seems like it's a good thing from God. I don't know how He's going to do those things, but my promise to you is that God is somehow going to show up. So as you are still and as you wait for Him, God is going to show up. And the third thing for you to do as you detox your soul is this. The third is to reflect on God's goodness. Reflect on God's goodness. As I've been talking this morning, what are you thinking about? I'm not going to ask you to answer that. What are you thinking about? Some of you are wondering, how much longer does John have? That's what some of you are wondering. Some of you are thinking, what's for lunch this afternoon? Some of you are thinking, I only have less than, um, you know, what is it, 16, 18 hours before I have to walk through the doors of that building called school, you know. Why did he remind me of that? You know. Some of you are thinking about stuff you've got to do this afternoon to get ready for the week. You know, our minds are always going, always going, always going. We talked last week that our minds think we think between six and 7,000 thoughts a day. Every six seconds we have a different thought that pops into our head. And so one of the ways to detox our souls, one of the ways to deal with the junk that gets inside of us, be still, wait on the Lord, and then thirdly, to reflect on God's goodness to reflect on God's goodness. In Psalm 116, David says this. He said, Return to your rest, my soul, for God has been good to you. For you, Lord, you delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. David was reflecting on all these things that God had done in his life. The way God answered prayers, the way God walked with him through his life, the way God met him and showed up over and over and over and over again. And he said, one of the ways that we detox our souls, one of the ways a restless soul begins to be at rest is by reflecting on God's goodness. Reflecting on God's goodness. If you were to sit and think about 
a prayer that you've uttered to God and He's answered you? If you were to sit and think about a way that you received grace, getting something you didn't deserve, if you were to think about the good gifts that God has given to you, like a father gives to his children, if you were to think about some healing that you've experienced in your heart and in a relationship, if you were to think about, as we sang earlier, that song, Death Was the Rest, about the freedom that you have if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you were able to think about the peace and contentment in spite of the confusing circumstances around you, if you were to think about the joy that your heart is filled with that you're able to offer to other people, if you were able to think about the love that God has poured out on you that He now makes available for you to offer to people that you know, people that you don't even know, the contentment that you live with at this season of your life. When was the last time you sat and reflected on God's goodness? And maybe as you're still and quiet and waiting, you can reflect on God's goodness. Because when we quiet our souls, something happens. When we quiet our souls, something happens. Our minds have to go somewhere. And you can think about all the things you have to do. You can think about how long till this is over and done. Or you can choose to think about a God who loves you and a God who has given His one and only Son for you. A God who said, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to give your life to me, I'm going to make you a new creation. Old things are gone and new things are come. The sins that you've committed, they're cast in a sea of forgetfulness. You will never be judged for those sins no matter how long. And this is all true because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the sooner returning King. He said, no matter what happens in life, I'm going to make all things good and they're going to work out so that I get the glory and praise and I have a plan and a purpose and a hope and a future for you. You see, one of the ways that our soul can be at rest is when we reflect on God's goodness in our lives. We reflect on His goodness. In the midst of a busy, demanding season of life, and for many of us, as we enter the fall, it has that feel to it. As students go back to school, as work seems to ramp up moving into the fall season, as sports and other activities fill our lives, as small groups re-engage, there's this sense that life can feel full and overwhelming. But God says, even in the midst of all of this chaos, all of this stuff, your soul can be at rest. Your soul can be at rest. You see, Satan doesn't just want to make us bad. He wants to keep us busy. Because if we're busy, our souls never experience rest and we don't know who, we don't know God. And so my invitation for you this week is for you to be at rest. For you to be at rest. For you to say, what will it take for me to be still? What will it take for me to wait? What will it take for me to reflect on God's goodness in my life? Be at rest. Be at rest, my soul. Wait patiently on Him. Reflect on His goodness. 
And the only place that your soul can find rest is in God alone. You bow your heads with me as we wrap up this morning. And as we do, I just want to let you take a, a minute just to be quiet before God and um, look at your soul. Is it at peace? Is it contented? Is it experiencing rest? What are you waiting for this morning? God already knows. Just admit it to Him. What are you waiting for today? Lastly, how has God been good in your life? Even if life has been hard very recently. Can you get a glimpse of how God has been good? Father, I don't think any of us like to have a restless soul. I know some I've talked to who feel this restlessness. They, they feel pretty tortured, God. I just pray that this morning they would feel hope. That you long for them to know and experience rest for their soul. that that can be found in you. God, maybe this week will be an opportunity for them to take some of the steps that I've talked about and be able to put these into practice in their lives. And Lord, for others who are wrestling with the things of their soul, because you seem far away, God, I pray that today that they might know that Jesus invites them into a relationship with Him to know Him and to know rest for their soul. God, we long for this rest. We know we can't do it without You. But we do experience it no matter what is going on in our lives. We can say, it is well with my soul.